Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we were recording here lunchtime Wednesday. The offseason has been underway for a little while. And of course, it is an unprecedented start to the offseason. We had the Patriots announcing contract talks. We had the Patriots announcing a coaching search. And now we are having on this podcast an unprecedented start with honorary Florida man Jeff Howe from The Athletic coming off of one day as the Jaguars beat writer for The Athletic, but they have no Jaguars beat writer. You cover an all-time comeback, which you wouldn't know if you would listen to the broadcast because Al Michaels and Tony Dundee were taking a nap together. But I enjoyed the game. You were there. I don't really want to hear a whole lot about Duval, so I'll give you just 30 seconds, and then we'll get into the news of the day that just broke before we started recording, and then a whole lot of stuff about the offense, the coaching search, and the future, what it looks like in New England. But for 30 seconds, give me some, give me some Duval. This is, they're a fun group, man. It's a fun atmosphere. I didn't really understand the whole do. I mean, I, this is only the third time I've covered a game in Jacksonville. I don't remember the Duval chant before the last year, I guess, but it was, it was crazy. They were, uh, they were into it. It was like a college game, uh, but just like the team in general, they're a feisty group. You know, they're, they've been coming back from deficits all season, whether it was the standings, whether it was, you know, several games, some double digit leads. So, you know, they're equipped to do this. They believe in Trevor Lawrence. I've gotten to know this team fairly well over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's it's real. It's genuine. Lawrence really looks like he's on his way to becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If they go on some sort of like Joe Burrow-like run, you know, it could happen a whole lot sooner than anybody expects. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting out to Kansas City this weekend because, uh, you know, my, my Jaguars uh, beat writer card is, has not yet expired. Excellent. I actually have a Jaguars fan in my life and it's, it, there's Me only too. one. Yeah. Great. And so I watched the game with him with thrilled about, it. I guess we're going to do more than 30 seconds on Duval, but it was just, <laughs> it was nice in the essence of you could kind of see something building within the second half of the game that obviously leads to the comeback, but that was also something that's built throughout the course of the season where I think a lot of quarterbacks would be super flustered and frustrated. Um, this is not a passive aggressive shot at Mac Jones, but you look at Trevor Lawrence, a guy who's down 27 to seven at halftime. And it's mostly his fault. And then he leaves them as he's done the entirety of the season, second year, all the way through that comeback for a fan base that's been aching for something like that. And for a team that has promised, but just seems to get in its own way. It was just a really cool environment of we're probably going to end up with the powerhouse as we all predict come Super Bowl time. But in the meantime, we have a story like this to kind of cling to and be like, football's fun on its own. Forget all the big picture stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it was cool because Lawrence said something after the game that it sounds so obvious on the surface, but it's so damn true. 
He's like, you cannot come back from a deficit like this unless everybody truly believes it's possible. And I'm not, you know, this doesn't need to be like a, you know, measuring contest as to which one was better, but there were parallels to 28 to three. We know the Super Bowl comeback was better. All right. We know. I get that. Let's not fight back on that. Let's appreciate both for what they were, but there were parallels. And then like we've covered the Patriots for so long. I mean, you obviously still do. We're used to seeing what it takes to make a comeback in an environment like this. And there were some things that I thought were interesting. You know, the first half, the Chargers scored 17 points off turnovers in deep, deep in their territory. Three of those possessions or three possessions that led to 17 points. They moved the ball on offense less than 20 yards. So it's like, okay, this isn't like a, a colossal defensive meltdown. This is just a team that needs to stop turning it over and your defense is going to give you a chance. And then something that I didn't know until after, but just listening to Lawrence speak, he was like, I was, I was reading the defense. Well, I was just making bad throws. And he's like, I made one bad decision on an interception. He's like, so I, I knew what I was seeing. So the, like that kind of brought me back to 28 to three and just hearing, because you saw how well the Patriots were moving the ball. They were just, you know, they had the blunt um, fumble. You had some turnovers. You weren't finishing drives, but you were moving the ball. So, like, there were things that existed. A lot of things needed to go right for the Jaguars in the second half. Things needed to go wrong for the Chargers in the second half because those things, you don't have an historic comeback without some colossal events happening along the way that are unexpected. Um but, you know, the, the most unlikely of all of them was the fact that the Jaguars never forced a turnover, like losing the yeah. turnover battle five to nothing and coming back from 27 down. That actually makes it, uh, in my opinion, the most improbable comeback in playoff history. All right. You are coming out hot. I love it. And I, I really do have to pivot now because there, there are a lot of parallels <laughs> we could get into. But you spent time talking to the folks in Jacksonville before that game. And it got me thinking about, you know, the, what you what you wrote about is the quarterback coach dynamic, the trust, the development there between Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson and how that was really central to a lot of the issues uh, with the Patriots. And you could see it on the surface and Max, you know, uh, fits on the field and his outbursts, which. I downplayed for a while, but at some point they get to be too many. We're like, this is a trend. And I say all the time, the truth is in the trends. And so where do the Patriots go moving forward? Because the headline now is their offensive coordinator search. Underneath that, the subhead is who's going to be the quarterback's coach. I think ideally for the Patriots, the person is one and the same for both those jobs and also the O-line because it needs to start with the trust and then the development of Mac Jones. The Patriots are going to go anywhere here in 2023. On that note, right before we started to record, uh, it was reported that Nick Cayley, tight ends coach, is interviewing for the offensive coordinator job today, Wednesday, and Keenan McCardell, uh, longtime receiver in Jacksonville, so we continue with the Jaguars thread, but before that, was in Cleveland with Belichick from 92 to 95, and more recently coached uh, in Washington, Jacksonville, and the Vikings, all with the receivers, is going to interview for the same position as Bill O'Brien either has or will do. So when I tell you all that, when you see the tweets come through and then people like me aggregating it and working to confirm, your first thoughts were what? It's a year too late for Kaylee. I don't understand why this process took so long. I mean, McCardell, think about his playing days. I've seen like we've seen so many tweets already referencing him as a Browns player under Belichick. The McCardell I remember as a player was a Jaguar. Um which has absolutely nothing to do with the OC search, but I just <laughs> had to get it off my chest. Uh but really, it starts with Bill O'Brien and like if it's not O'Brien at the end of this process, it would be a pretty substantial shock. The familiarity from both sides, him being from the area, uh, the familiarity with some people on staff already. He has uh, some sort of relationship with Mac Jones. When Mac was leaving Alabama, 
uh, O'Brien was coming in and Mac actually stayed back for a couple weeks to teach Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offense, something that Mac didn't have to do, but kind of just showed his investment into that program and O'Brien coming in to get it right. Some mutual respect between them, those two. So it's an, it would be an interesting pairing. I mean, Kaylee is a very smart offensive mind. If he doesn't get an OC job somewhere else, I'd be surprised about that. But if he doesn't, the Patriots seem to do everything that they can to keep him on staff. And then McCardell is an interesting one, too, just because, you know, he brings in a different type of uh, offensive system and offensive mind from from working under different coaches and you know changing it up. You know, if it's not O'Brien or Kaylee, changing it up, I think, would be a refresher uh, for a lot of Patriots fans. Yeah, and that's the interesting part. I just said this. The truth is in the trends. The only trend that I see developing from the three names that we mentioned, again, Bill O'Brien, Nick Cayley, and Keenan McCardell, is background with Belichick, which isn't a huge surprise given what everyone was discussing when the search was announced. Like, okay, this is not going to be, you know, Sean McVay light, come in, run your system, I'll leave you alone. Like, Belichick is going to have his hand in this. And I think the question then is, do they run the same system that was here for 21, 22 years, starting with Charlie Weiss, built out by Josh McDaniels one time and then again? Or do you make a full measure move towards the West Coast system that they tried to install with a half measure with coaches who hadn't taught it yet, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, all the McVay stuff, tight splits, jet motion, outside zone running. They didn't want to commit to the bootleg stuff because mccardell has been coaching all of that stuff since he's been in the league. Came under Mike Shanahan 2010. Kyle Shanahan was the OC for 2010 and 2011. He takes a couple of years off University of Maryland and back in Jacksonville, where his offensive coordinators were Nathaniel Hackett, Jake Gruden, John Filippo. Now in Minnesota, it's been Clint Kubiak and then his head coach this year, Kevin O'Connell. I don't see that as a big of a deal system-wise. Again, it more underscores the experience. And I think it also might be a chance for Belichick just to say, hey, I admire you. I admire you as a player, a coach, everything you've accomplished. Why don't you come in for an interview? We exchange some ideas, but at least you get the experience. I just, I don't think if they pivot, if they pivot to McCardell, like you said, it would be a shock because it wouldn't be Bill O'Brien. I just think for a guy who's not been in that job, doesn't have quarterback coach experience or offensive line coach for him to come in and be hired seems really, really unlikely. Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, I think really what it comes back to, like we all expect Belichick to make a familiar move. That's just what he's done for 22 years. It's worked more often than not. Uh, but I think, again, you, you go back to what the potential fan sentiment could be after the familiar moves last year uh, failed to the point where they're now doing press releases. Uh, you you got to make sure this one works. Yeah. All right, let's move on to what I gave you, a little bit of homework, a little bit of to-do list, which is not fair by me because we all kind of decompress here. You're still covering the playoffs. I'm in the offseason. We just detailed. I gave you a to-do list. I said, I want to know three items that should be on the Patriots to-do list. Extending Gerard Mayo is off the table. Hiring an offense coordinator is obviously obvious, so that too is up off the table, out the window. Then we'll go into what the future of the offense looks like. You got a couple of mailbag questions. Um, first, though, what is on your to-do list at home? You came back from Jacksonville and your wife said, I need what done? What, what is your personal to-do list like? Uh, well, <laughs> first thing was uh, I had to take a nap. And it was, <laughs> you know, the, the girls were home from school for a couple of days. They had a four-day vacation, a four-day weekend. And uh, they were they were given strict uh, instructions to not wake me up on Monday morning because I was up till four after the Jaguars game on Saturday night. So that was number one. Uh, number two, I'll be honest, I'm still in a fog. I can't remember what I've done the last 48 hours. It's just 
I forgot what it was like covering a game, especially one at night. So you went, uh, you, you went soft is basically what you're telling us. Sitting at home oh, absolutely. on Sundays yeah, now. Yeah. sold out entirely. I only play the hits. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we just got to get you out back with uh, Jim McBride, Mark Daniels, a few others, and come to Combine, and we'll get you back into shape. Uh, not in terms of games, but, you know, maybe staying up late, having a few beers. Uh, I'm pissed you guys aren't joining me at the Senior Bowl, but I understand. I get it. Yeah, I, I'll i leave it at this. It's not my choice that I'm not going to the Senior Bowl or – We'll see about the Shrine Bowl and the Combine, but we'll definitely be at the Combine for all the for all the big stuff. Um, all right, on to the Patriots to-do list. Three items. We have an, a series ongoing at the Herald. If you've been reading that, something I split with Karen Gregan, obviously your old colleague, you'll be familiar with my talking point. So I want you to lead off. What is your number one item on the Patriots to-do list this offseason? I will use this as a bridge from an earlier topic. And, you know, going back to the Trevor Lawrence stuff, listening to him talk about, like, Working with Doug Peterson this off, going into last offseason, he said he needed to rebuild his confidence. And you can't play quarterback to a successful level if you're not a confident player. Mac Jones, look, I don't know this for a fact, but I know watching him, he did not look as confident as he would have been in as a rookie. And you can see why. And the outbursts, I agree with you. I understand why they're what they're rooted from. And it's a frustration with late play calls or calls that aren't working or misresponsibilities. And eventually that's going to take its toll. The other side of that coin is you're the face of the franchise. You're the starting quarterback. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard and make sure that that stuff is hidden a whole lot better. So you can have it both ways there, but Mac Jones needs to be confident. So Whatever the Patriots do at quarterback, if they are sticking with Mac Jones or if they're going to move in a different direction, just make a decision. And if it is Mac, let it be known. Stop, you know, stop letting all this stuff kind of fester and making people wonder what's going on. And, you know, just commit to him publicly. But more than that, commit to him privately and, and make sure that his confidence is where it needs to be so he can have a really good third year. Yeah, and I think that speaks to something that will be difficult to see, right? Like it took Mac having all these outbursts, in addition to things you and I hear, you know, some of which is maybe from one person or from a couple people who ask, please don't share this. And it kind of gets out anyway, but became so evident in the public eye because of the outbursts in the fits and the frustrations where, again, this was not just a bad offense. This was the worst offense in franchise history dating back to 1995. So think of all the teams that sputtered then. Um, and this is worse than all of them. So it's it's an interesting point, and you wonder how that goes because, again, that starts with the central question. You know, again, I, who do you want to hire as an offensive coordinator? Okay, well, what system do you want to commit to? How do you build Mac Jones back up? Well, who's the right person to do that? And so I would I would think it's Belichick, right, because I don't think that relationship, as we've seen, has been in a great place, and that's just my sense and my feeling. Um, but then it, beyond that, who do you entrust him to? Because clearly Joe Judge and Matt Patricia were the wrong choice to put – you know, him in their hands. And that obviously blew up. We don't need to cover that. For me, my thing is protecting Mac in a different sense and building him back up. Give him some offensive tackles who can block consistently. And Connor McDermott, to his credit, was better on the right side. But number one for me, aside from the coaching stuff, is draft an offensive tackle and sign another one. I think they would be okay with Trent Brown going back into next season as a starter at left tackle, but he'll be in a contract year. Right tackle is a revolving door. Isaiah Wynn should not be back of the famous four games straight with a penalty and a sack. Um, Yanni could just still there, Connor McDermott. Like this, this is self-explanatory. It just became such an anchor 
on the offense where you saw the play calling become more conservative, Mac melt under pressure, where you just started to anticipate pressure, even when it wasn't there. And it, that's what held it back, which is the constant stream of people coming unblocked or off the edge. And I think that's where you start for the long term with the draft pick on day one or day two, or certainly with a veteran guys like I talked about Mike McGlinchey, Caleb McGarry's also out there. I don't think Orlando Brown Jr. is coming to New England, but there are options. And I think you need to address them both in free agency and the draft. Yeah, I'm going to take that as my second point, and I'm going to add solidify the, the lead voice because Matt Patricia was technically the offense, uh, the offensive line coach this season. He had he had too many other responsibilities. He was not, not the offensive line coach last season. Uh, it was very hands on from the players side of it. And what you saw was just universal breakdowns like you already just illustrated. They need uh, a full-time offensive line coach who who can lead. And so that's where you're leaving that? Because there, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. So while the Patriots season might be over, football is not. And you can continue to bet and win money off of football at betonline.ag because BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, next season, next year, for the next decade. Everything. From the NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC and MMA and more is at betonline.ag. We'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. With live betting options, jump in in the second quarter, third quarter, doesn't matter. Plus free contests and live scores, you can win money on almost any sport imaginable. BetOnline is truly the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So head to the website today or use your phone and join with the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 to get a 50% 5-0 welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that's CLNS50 to receive your rewards at where else? BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Well, I mean, the the player stuff, yeah, the players need to, especially a tackle. So I'm with you there. I wasn't going to repeat everything you had to say. I, you yeah. just need, you need an offensive, like you had the greatest offensive line coach in history. I get it. He retired. That You can't, like. There was your scar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe you bring him back. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he will come out of retirement a second third, whatever, however many it would be. Yeah. Um, but then you had a couple other, you know, good offensive line coaches who also departed. I mean, if you want to make Matt Patricia the offensive line coach, go for it. Like, if that's what he wants to do, I don't know if he's going to be reassigned to O-line coach or if he wants to go back into the front office. I'm not sure they've gotten to that point in their decision-making process yet. But make Matt Patricia the O-line coach. That's fine. I think he can coach offensive linemen. You just need to make sure that your top offensive line coach is only coaching your offensive line because that's where these – like, this is not – you know, Isaiah Wynn has had his positive moments, and they've been outweighed by the negative moments. But aside from, like, the right tackle spot, this is a talented group, and they underperformed. Why do you underperform? Well, when the coaching's not where it needs to be. Yeah, and it's a great point. It's one that many illustrated before the season. Not only is Matt Patricia first-time offensive play caller, de facto offensive coordinator, but also the offensive line coach. Like, that's too much for anyone, even an experienced staff, because there's a reason the offensive line coaches among assistants are the highest-paid non-coordinators on staff. It's You're dealing with more players. You're dealing – you're coordinating – 
basically half the offense with five out of the 11 players there, which are obviously affecting every single play um, that you that you want to run any sort of scheme. So, yeah. And to your point, the only player who took a step forward was Mike Unwin. So it's the same argument for the totality of the roster going back with largely the same players. Uh, but different coaches. It, it's most glaring in the offensive line. Patricia put in a position to fail, did fail, but again, we're moving on. Uh, so that's your number two. Number two for me, flipping to defense, I think they need to build some more corner depth because I think it's easy, you know, with Jonathan Jones as a free agent, he's going to turn 30. The Patriots do not have a history of paying older cornerbacks. Stephon Gilmore gets a little more complicated than that, but age certainly factored in as much as the injury. And let's say he's gone for whatever reason, gets a better deal from the Raiders who have a ton of cap space and have interest in, in ties there uh, or somebody else. Jalen Mills, Jack Jones. You can't pencil in if you're the Patriots in my mind. Jack Jones is just, yeah, he'll be our starting corner. And it's for the same reason we saw at the end of the season with the suspension. What we know about Jack Jones is you can't entirely trust his decision-making. Okay. He might be an extremely talented cover corner, but after them, you've got Marcus Jones and then you're back to the same collection of practice squad players and Sean Wade, who's playing after those practice squad players and probably won't be on the roster. So I think this is another position where you go into free agency, into the draft, maybe another day one or day two pick where if you sustain an injury like to have a Jalen Mills, it's not going to kill you like it seemed to when they pivoted and played 90% zone against Arizona and Cincinnati, which is unprecedented for this defense that anchors with man-to-man coverage. And so I think that's a position where they could be fine. They could run it back, bring Jonathan Jones and Jalen Mills and Jack Jones. I just think you're in a better position instead of having a 30-year-old John Jones as your full-time corner to get another high draft pick in there as insurance against Jack Jones, maybe having another suspension or just someone of the future that, say, Mills is gone in 2024. Maybe that's Jack Jones and your new rookie coming in. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I, I think I would have a 3A and a 3B, and 3B – uh, is aligned with yours, although I would try to prioritize getting uh, a bona fide starting cornerback, you know, rather than depth, you know, try to get a number one. And that's hard to do, I know. But like, if it has to be through the draft, you know, this kind of brings up another issue that I'll get to after. But <clears throat> you need, like, how are you going to catch Buffalo? It keeps coming back to that. Number one, you got to figure out a way to stop Stefan Diggs. So yeah. you can Find somebody who can like, you're not going to stop him, but like, can you hold him to like 75 yards? So, you know, make sure that he's not streaking free down the field every, and that's easier said than done. Like even getting a number one cornerback is no guarantee that that's going to happen, but like try to help yourself there. 3A is another one that's like, you know, they don't grow on trees, but like try to find one of those new era linebackers. Like you're there, there's not going to be, a Micah Parsons who's just sitting there waiting for you in the draft. I mean, this is like one of the rare, I shouldn't say rare, but like a, a unique pre-draft evaluation of Micah Parsons. It was like, okay, if you can rein this guy in on the field, he's a hall of famer. And my goodness, it's, it's looking like it's heading that direction after just two years. Um, but like, you know, find, find those guys that you can kind of use as a chess piece. And they've got some, some real talent on the defensive line. Um, of course, or, or, you know, on the edge with Uche kind of breaking out and we know what Judon is capable of and Barmore looks awesome. Dietrich wise, like his uh, emergence over the last couple of years has been one of the more impressive things I've seen. Uh, you've got some really good talent and some hybrid ability with your safeties. You just, you need one of those, like Bentley has done a nice job of, of growing into a middle linebacker type role, but give you, give yourself one of those athletic pieces who can kind of move all over the place. 
you know, let Bill Belichick have some fun with a guy like that. The problem is, as I kind of teased earlier, when you need a tackle and you need a an explosive playmaking linebacker and you need a number one cornerback, is you kind of need three first round picks to answer all those. So you figure and out hit on time. those three picks. You can have three picks like the Dolphins did a couple of years ago, and then you end up with Noah Igbenakman, guy whose name I can never pronounce. But you you get what the point I'm making. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, see, I, I differ there in that I think Bentley is a keystone piece for this defense in the sense that he had his best year in pass coverage, which I know, again, I'm, I'm the one charting now you're covering the league as a whole and, and obviously keep up with the Patriots, but they, they mitigated that lack of speed at the second level, which has been a problem that I think they finally addressed obviously by playing safeties up there, even dating back to Patrick Chung in 17 and 18. And then this year was not only that, but applying Bentley sometimes more on the edge where he's not going to be one-on-one with a running back. And that's where you slide the safety in is the mic and kick him to the edge. I think he's been average in pass coverage, which is a big step up for Juwan Bentley. I do like the idea of some more dynamism in there though, because all of the playmaking forcing turnovers, the disguise comes from that safety group and they might be down a safety if Devin McCourty retires. And then you're looking at guys like Bentley uh, and Phillips. And I believe Kyle Duggar going into a contract year. So you need to make some sort of decisions here. Duggar being a second round pick. So yeah, it's going to be a four-year deal of who do we need to bring in either to replace them or start re-signing these guys and in, eat into our future flexibility. So I, I think Bentley came off a career year. I think that's sustainable for another year, but you know, he's only under contract through 2023. So that leaves questions long-term, which as we know, they try to answer at least a year or two ahead of time. Um, Unless it's Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski. But <laughs> I will go on my my number third and point. Josh McDaniels. Yeah, Josh McDaniels too. Uh, fix the special teams. Look, the, these were the league's worst special teams by any metric, but most importantly, DVOA. Their punting situation, Jake Bailey and Mike Pilardi were the two worst punters in the league. Uh, according to some metrics, they fumbled. They allowed block kicks. Uh, it was bad. It was bad across the board. They couldn't kick off whatsoever. And Nick Folk started to wane towards the end, which look, the guy's nearing 40. How could you, you know, and already had basically two career revivals. This is going to happen. So I think they need to address certainly punter. I would be surprised if Jake Bailey's back kicker. I wouldn't be surprised to see them invest a draft pick in or look at a veteran. Um, and it's just, you, you can't be 32nd and expect to go anywhere like that, that unless you were transcendent on offense and top 10 on defense, that's just, that's just never going to happen. No, I mean, look at the Niners last year. I mean, that <laughs> the Niners last year were as talented as they are this year. Their special teams was atrocious, and, and they didn't reach their potential because of that. You know, that's happened in recent years with the Packers. Like, you cannot have bad special teams and expect to win tight games in the playoffs. The Patriots' special teams have been an issue for two years. Uh, the, the substitution errors, the missed assignments, I mean, just – I don't know the numbers off this. I'm just going to, you know, shoot from the hip on this one. Like there couldn't have been, they probably had more blocked kicks against them in the last two years than they did in, you know, the previous 20. Oh, and you um, know, I omitted the biggest ones was the kick returns, like the literal KO yeah. of their last game in their season. They allowed three of six kick returns this year. So forgive me, go on. I mean, again, like when, when do you ever see, like you need to be better on special teams. And I don't know if that's, you know, we talked about reassigning, uh, Patricia to O-line or upstairs, whatever. Like if you put judge back in charge of special teams, if you remake this entire offensive coaching staff, you know, that's an answer to, to improve that. But again, like that's, that's not a step that I think they're at yet at this point in the process. Yeah. I, I would envision that too. I think Joe judge is going to get reassigned 
somewhere, whether that's special teams coordinator or elsewhere. But I, I would be beyond floored if he's back as a quarterback's coach uh, or maybe even on the offensive staff. Speaking of the offensive staff, um, we've already hit on the recent candidates for the search. Again, this is a question that I think you have to answer before you hire a coordinator. So I'll ask it to you as we look ahead to the future of this offense. And I'm talking 2023, 2024 here in these upcoming topics. Do the Patriots stick with the system? Do they go back to what they had for 22 years, where basically every single scheme is in the Library of Congress that is Gillette Stadium from all those years and the spread and the power running, and we're going to go two tight ends and everything that's in there? Or do they ask someone to come in and install the system they tried to last year with this supposed infatuation with what the Rams and McVay had done, as we saw in OTAs and minicamp and training camp? I mean, that's that's the road I would try to go, but I understand okay. the familiarity aspect of it. I mean, like O'Brien is again, it just it begins and ends with O'Brien. If you can get him, try to make that work. Uh, the relationships are, are pure from both sides of it. Now, O'Brien had uh, the offense at Alabama this past season was more heavily criticized than it had been in recent years. You know, they weren't motioning as much. Uh, it got a little stale. So, you know, try to figure out what went wrong there. And if you can kind of get yourself back up to speed with some of the things that he had been doing with the Patriots in a, in a past coaching life. Um, but I think you mentioned like the playbook, like I, I would be fascinated to see the the playbook that they have the master because I've been told it's like this big yeah. because it, it contains everything that they've ever run. And they, they're able to like Belichick and say, Hey, we ran this play in 2006 against the Vikings. And, you know, you got somebody over there who's like, Oh, that's page 12,042. And they flip right to it. So there's just such a catalog of information there that I would be surprised if Belichick wanted to go away from it, but I don't know, just, do what do what works. Like, don't bring in O'Brien and have him run something that he's never run before. Because you kind of tried that last year, and they had to scrap it before the regular season even started. Um, if you bring in, let's one a McVay Shanahan type, don't bring him in and have him run the same stuff that you want to run. Just like Belichick has said a million times in the past, do what you do well. Yeah, which was so made last year so striking, right? Like you're not only trying to install a system for which you don't have coaches who have experience solving all the problems that you can't tell on tape because those plays are only run against one set defense. Okay, then you're on to the next play. But what if they got a different call, a different look, a different blitz? Obviously, the Rams and their coaches and their players, to use them as an example, would know how to pivot away from that or solve it because their their solution is built into the playbook they've all rehearsed in practice. But you don't see that on the outside going through that tape. So it's not as simple as just watching the tape of those plays that you might want to copy and paste in your own system because you don't understand all the different answers that they didn't have to use and employ You know, because they weren't presented with a certain look. So I, I'm with you. I think you go to what you know. This also goes to the current uh, roster strengths. I still think this offensive line and the numbers bear this out much better at man blocking where you're averaging over five yards per carry on schemes like power and counter and duo versus zone where they're 3.2. And yet they called zone blocking uh, more than all but seven other teams in the league. So that's a simple question. I think the bigger question then is Mac. And I think a lot of the conversation that we're having this offseason before you get to that, because you brought up a really good point that I just want to take a real quick time to to hit on. Yeah, yeah. Is you mentioned like the the ability to adapt on the fly. Those coaching staffs, I don't think they're a unicorn here, but those coaching staffs have people on staff who spend the entire week preparing for okay, 
this is going to be our our philosophy this week. This is how we're going to attack the defense. They have people on staff who say, okay, well, what if they throw us a curveball? Now we have to come up with a collection of plays to give you to start running in the middle of the game to combat this defense that we didn't necessarily expect to see. So you're right. Like you can, you can draw up these plays. You can steal somebody else's plays, but when you're not in the room thinking through all these concepts day after day, after day for months at a time, you know, it's a whole lot harder to adjust to. And it's, it's so, it's hard for, it's hard for us to understand the intricacies of that. All we can do is relay the information that we get, but like, it's as simple as breaking it down to like, for anybody listening or watching here, think about what you do at work. Like, think about your line of work. If you brought in somebody who's in, if you brought in the top, like whatever you do, if you're an accountant, if you brought in the top surgeon at Mass General, like obviously a genius you want him to do your accounting work it's going to take some time for them to figure that out it's just it, it comes sometimes some of this stuff is complicated some of it's just it's very straightforward and fundamental like you are going to be better at something that you have trained for years to do all right so about five weeks ago in the dog days of the regular season we all know it's been a long year for the patriots i was looking around for a new supplement i wanted something to give me more energy help with the immune system with the flu and COVID coming back around, and I gotta tell you, I found it. And I am so happy that they are now a new sponsor of Pat's Interference. It's AG1. AG1, what is this stuff? Well, it is one delicious scoop of 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's new, I just learned about them, very important. They all help you start your day right. And this special blend supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging, everything. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, or if you're dairy-free or gluten-free, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals you'll find in other supplements, and it supports better sleep quality and recovery, which is very important. We've had a lot of night games, folks. Perhaps best of all, in addition to all that good stuff, it costs you less than your regular cup of coffee, less than $3 a day. It's cheaper than getting coffee or any of the other supplements you might find on the shelf and have to combine them. It's just one scoop with everything you need. Plus, you know Athletic Greens is trusted because it has over 7,000, that's 7,000 five-star reviews online recommended by professional athletes and leading health experts. So right now, it is time for you to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water, or for me, a smoothie per day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash garden. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash garden to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And you talk about all the years of experience at Belichick saying, okay, 06, that Monday night game against the Vikings, we did this through 40, 50 times a game. Let's run that play on page 1246. The the McVay version of that is guys who came up in that system and can say that about their own offense. Like if they tried to jump in here and said, yeah, take, you know, Belichick's defense and go coach it without him. Like, yeah, good luck to you. Okay, we'll come back and we'll see you 27th in the league and scoring defense and we'll wonder why did that happen? That's exactly what happened here because they have all the built-in answers. And even sometimes that is not good enough. I, I'm, again, not um, 
you know, saying the Patriots should commit to the McVay system, but it just can't be a half measure. That was a half measure. That was the biggest thing last year is we're only going to do this part way and we're not going to do it with a full investment and in thinking we are smart enough to do it without all that backlog of experience and installing and teaching and packaging and labeling uh, because you just, you just, you just can't do it. So yeah, I think you fully commit to what you do. Well, there's breadth within the Patriot system where it's not a single identity that again, even the McVay coaches, Belichick broke that offense in 2018 with a, with a 6-1 front, okay? And it wasn't like they didn't have answers to it. They just weren't willing to do it. So it's there's nothing better about the McVay system versus what the Patriots have. I just think given them a roster and their coaching, talent and experience, stick with what you've been doing. There's enough there to kind of find the right offense for however the offense developed in 2023. Um, okay, so let's say they, they choose an offensive coordinator. Let's say it's Bill O'Brien or not Bill O'Brien. How involved do you think Belichick is? in the offense, given a, it looks like Gerard Mayo is getting something to stay here and did a very good job with Steve Belichick last year when Bill spent so much time with the offense and that when Bill spent as much time with the offense as they did 18.1 offensive points per game, 24th by DVOA. And it was an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's, if it's O'Brien, I think he kind of goes back to what he had done for basically 21 years or whatever, when he would kind of pop his head in, Hey, how are things going? Hey, you know what? I like this particular play against this defense. Let's see if we can run that at practice this, this afternoon. We'll check in from there. That was basically, you know, in a large generality, that was the extent of what Belichick did on offense. If you bring in somebody from a different system and you want to have him run or install that new system, again, we'll go back to like the McShay, the <laughs> McShay McVay Shanahan type of example. Um, I'm sure Bill would probably want to be in there just kind of listening and learning. So it, it would probably just depend. But if it's O'Brien, again, you, you go back to Belichick's coaching your defense and he listens in on offense like he's there, he's involved, but it's more along the lines of suggestions and, and wanting to see if they can do certain things as opposed to, you know, drawing up plays in the dirt and stuff like that. And who knows, maybe this means he pivots, you know, going from coaching defense to offense to more time with special teams next season, just because if you have a head coach of the offense, like Bill O'Brien, who's obviously been a head coach, offensive coordinator in multiple spots, you know, I know, or my understanding is Belichick still kicks off those staff meetings on Wednesday saying, look, this is how I want to play the game. This is how I see it going. Offense work within these parameters, defense, same deal. And so that's how they kind of have this aim of complementary football. But for whatever reason, I think that vision obviously offensively leaned too far conservative because they they're it just became clear towards the end of the season. Their goal was not score as many points as possible. It was hang around, mitigate risk, screen, 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 short passes, well short of the sticks, third nine, forget about it. Like it might be a downfield screen, but it's nothing that's going to be threatening. Um, and I think he's obviously foremost responsible for that as well as Matt Patricia. So it, it will be interesting too, because I think the only leverage Bill O'Brien has here with his contract reportedly up at Alabama is knowing A, he's wanted, B, probably needed as someone who has the exact skill set and background the Patriots would desire, but also he's going to make a demand based on that leverage, I would think, of I want to run the offense. Like the results are there, Bill, when you have two hands in the operation versus just a finger and kind of a check-in. And he would want that control. I wonder if that's a sticking point in negotiations. I don't have any reporting on that. But for Bill O'Brien, who's looking at this as an opportunity and a springboard back to being a head coach, you would want full control. And I think he would be fair to, given what happened here with Belichick. And I just, I don't know what Belichick's response to that would be. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to predict what Belichick's response would be to anything, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
you bring O'Brien back, it's to give him control of the offense. Like, I think that's just, that's the answer. Otherwise, if you're going to start going back and forth as to like what, you know, going through the details, then all of a sudden you get a few days into this thing. You got a quarter of the league looking for offensive coordinators right now. You start dragging your feet, you lose potentially the best candidate or, or you want to like out negotiate your top candidate. Now, all of a sudden, maybe the next five are off the board. So if, if he's your guy, make it work and do it fast. I agree. I agree. And that's what they're trying to do with Mayo. And we don't have an official announcement yet. Um, so just, I would assume that's just because they're kind of letting him see how everything else plays out. I mean, my, okay. my educated assumption on the Mayo thing dating back to the day of the press release was this is absolutely, this new deal is a hundred percent going to happen as long as he doesn't see a, a valued head coaching opportunity elsewhere, because if you lose Mayo to a head coaching job, that is a massive feather in your cap. You shake his hand, you throw him a party, and you're happy for him and his family. If you lose him to a defensive coordinator job, it's an outright embarrassment. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, I started to say this 10 minutes ago, and we have another question here on the rundown. Just what do you envision the offense looking like? I think that depends on the system, the coordinator and the quarterback. And the reason I mentioned quarterback in the same way I said 10 minutes ago is all these conversations start to come back to Mac, right? Because again, you're not at a point now where he's, he's not extension eligible. So that's not on the table, but you do need to start answering the question of, is this our future? Because you want to tailor the system around your quarterback. Belichick has said they did that for 20 years with Brady. It's a wise decision. When you look back last year, I don't think much of that besides maybe the RPO package uh, and maybe some of their shotgun splits were tailored towards Mac because if it was, you would bring coordinators and offensive coaches who knew what they were doing. But that being said, again, my sense is the relationship between Mac and the coaches and the trust there has eroded. I think it might be something that's best solved with time. And obviously the hires that they kind of build back a more sensible, experienced offensive staff, but those things haven't happened yet. That time has not passed yet. What is your sense of the Patriots feeling towards Mac and Max towards the Patriots? I think really after this season and you, you, what Belichick did uh, to him in that Bears game, you know, there was uh, there were some things that Belichick has done to the quarterback that I have never seen before and still don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, I, you know, I kind of relate one of the things when Mac said after a game that he wants to be coached harder. Um He's a guy who can handle hard coaching. I mean, he thrived for Nick Saban, Corky Rogers in high school. Like these are guys who are very difficult on their quarterbacks. Um, but you see that and I can't help but wonder if Belichick saw that as a slight. And since then, all these questions that you guys gave to Belichick about like committing to Mac or whether it was a starter and long-term, whatever. And he just sort of was non-committal. Like, I wonder if that was out of spite be going back to the coach Tartar comments. I, and I'm just speculating on that. I think ultimately if Mac is your guy, everybody just needs to sit in a room and just talk it out and say, okay, let's figure out how we can make this thing better next season. You know, what is the roadmap? What do you need? What do you need from us? Stuff like that. Just have a, an honest conversation, talking football, talking strategy, figuring out what your strengths are, and then from the Patriots side, figuring out what they want to do, if that fits with him or, you know, if, if Max not your guy, then okay, fine. Commit to a different path. You know, I think there are teams that are out there that would be willing to trade for him, but 
at, at the start of this whole process or once they figure out who their OC is going to be, just bring everybody into a room and have a talk. Little kumbaya. Little one. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you know, at some point, I, I remember the old Chris Rock quote, but I think it's you're only as faithful as your options. And Belichick has to look across, you know, the quarterback landscape and wonder, you know, could he get replacement level performance for Mac? The, the evaluation of Mac is obviously clouded by a lot of things, scheme, health, the offensive line, coaching he got day to day. But I think it was fairly steady in the most important areas. And that was accuracy, um, his aggressiveness downfield from year one to year two, and his turnover worthy plays. So it was really rocky at the start. The offense changed. It went back mostly to what he'd been doing in year one come December and January. That I think was the best fit for him. But we know there are going to be changes. It's just a matter of how much does he dictate those. And I think you're right in that I went back through all of Belichick's transcripts and tried to look at his comments about Mac, not for anything in particular, but just to check back in of what have I been listening to if I hone in on this one subject after sitting on these dozens and dozens and dozens of Belichick press conferences and his praise for Mac, who at the beginning of the season, dramatic improvement. Um, he was a captain. He was you know, a leader. All this different stuff, all the offseason work was – you know, love his passion, love his attitude. After the Arizona game, when all these outbursts come out Monday Night Football and we're asking him about it, everything else was, yeah, Mac does a good job or crediting to the whole offense. The question specifically about Mac get blown up to the receivers or the offensive line. They do that a lot with specific questions. It goes credit to the whole team, except individual brain spread credit around. But I, it was it was notable because it was another trend and part of the reason that I pressed him late in the season about being a dirty player where I think with most franchises, if you're the head coach, you're like, no, I want to support my quarterback, even if we're at odds. Like, that's an easy thing just to say, of course not. He's not a dirty player. Yeah, right. Have your guys back. I mean, Belichick for decades, one thing, one of many things that his players have credited him for is never throwing his players under the bus. Hmm. And Belichick didn't directly do that. Um, and, and Mac deserves a lot of the, like that play against Cincinnati. Like, I, I defended Mac. For the Panthers thing, I thought that might have been overblown. I think there were a couple other plays. You know, there was like the high leg kick against the Bears that you wondered, okay, that's getting closer to a gray area. The dive uh, in the Cincinnati game was, I I watched that and I was like, are they going to show a replay? Did I see what I thought I just saw? And it wasn't until like a day later when I saw the replay on Twitter. I was like, oh, that's not good. But if you're Belichick, you know, you got to, you got to come to the defense of your guy and because it's become a storyline. And I think Karen wrote it that week. It was like, he, he invited a distraction into his locker room when there didn't need to be one. All you do, whether you're right or you believe it or not, if you say that's my guy, he's not a dirty player. And then you take him back into a meeting room and say, if you do that again, like I'm going to call you out for it. Um, Like what, like just, mitigate the distraction um i don't know if i'm jumping way too far off topic here on this one but you brought up a point like if you move on from mac like what do you improve at the position and you look and you can say like i don't i don't i'm not trying to turn this into like a six hour tom brady debate but you look at what's out there it's tom brady it's jimmy garoppolo it's Derek carr and then you know, you get a little more like I don't is Derek Carr necessarily an improvement over, over Mac Jones? I, I don't know. It depends on what your offensive system is going to look like. Uh, the Raiders are moving on from him for a reason. And, you know, the Raiders pretty well. Yeah. Um, Garoppolo, you know, if Brady doesn't go to the Raiders, I would expect the Raiders to pay for Garoppolo. 
Are you going to get into a bidding war for Garoppolo? And all of a sudden you go from a quarterback on a rookie contract to a quarterback making $35 million a year. You know, that's a massive philosophical debate. Do you try to get more creative and say, hey, you know what? Maybe they're going to move on from Trey Lance. Do you send Mac Jones to, I don't know, let's say the Raiders strike up. Let's say Garoppolo goes to the Jets and Brady retires. Do you call up the Raiders and say, what would you take for Mac? And then use whatever assets you have to either trade up in the draft. If you like one of those top three guys, do you call San Francisco, see what it would take to get Trey Lance? Other than that, like there's not an upgrade out there that seems like an overly practical solution. And here's the starting point. I really should have started here because we, you know, put the dirty player stuff to bed. You know, the, the bear stuff is way in the past. I think there's a buildup. They're all connected. It makes sense that at the end of the season, they both look exasperated with each other. But his answer to the question of is Mac your starting quarterback next season and his end of the season press conference in January was, I think Mac shown he can play quarterback in this league. Well, after two years, you would certainly hope so, because that's all the kid has done and started virtually every single game for you. And I think that quote where even if you don't want to say, yeah, he'll be the starter and you want to keep your options open as you just explored and laid out that there aren't very many of them, but the Patriots are going to keep that flexibility. Like you at least can pump them up a little bit because the reason you would do so is to make him more attractive to trade partners or put on this right. sort of show that we are really committed. So if you really want Mac Jones, which is to say his stock is particularly high, you're driving the price up, even if it's just a front, even if it's just a show. And they couldn't even do that. So if other teams are going to call and say, yeah, maybe he's the bridge guy or we just have a guy in a rookie contract for two years, which, again, the Patriots did not and do not pay for quarterbacks. Uh, as far as like kind of top five market value, they didn't with Brady, except for maybe one contract around 2010, 2011, you would know better than me, but that's, that's a part of it here. And the other part is just the, the fact that that was the answer. I think he can play quarterback. Anyone who has Mac watched Mac Jones for a couple of games can see that to what level is up for debate. Certainly in the neighborhood of average, is that good enough for the Patriots? We'll see. It's just, it's in an interesting crossroads where I'm not predicting anything here. I think it's just something to keep an eye on because of Belichick's actions, his words, uh, and, and Max too, you know, in a season that was really difficult. And I think ultimately he came around towards the end of just not keeping quiet, but certainly becoming more composed. And maybe that's just because of him thinking that would help the team out or him understanding that also, if he wants to be more attracted to potential teams out there, it's better to kind of keep your act together. Whatever decision you land on in the offseason, once everyone takes some time and space, it either comes together for that kumbaya or decides one way or another that maybe they part ways. I, I'm, I'm not there. I'm not remotely close to it yet, but I think it got to a point where, like, th this was bad. Hey, guys, we're going to hit pause in the Patriots here for just a second to talk about something really important, and that's bedtime stories. Yes, the tales that had us feeling cozy in our bed and ready for a good night's sleep. Some of us enjoyed a fair tale ending, maybe hitting a walk-off home run or scoring a game-winning touchdown. So why shouldn't we have the same comfortable feelings when we try to go to sleep as adults as we drift off to sleep? Because the Calm App's immersive sleep stories make falling into relaxed and restorative slumber a breeze, bringing you back to the well-rested nights of childhood and hitting those homers and scoring those touchdowns. And I'm super excited to announce we're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. For the last year plus, it's helped me reduce stress and anxiety through things like guided meditation. It helps improve your focus with curated music tracks and help you rest and recharge with those imaginative sleep stories. It can work for kids or adults. There's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body 
and uplift your mind. And right now, if you go to calm.com backslash garden, you will get a special offer of 40% off, 4-0, of a Calm premium subscription where new content is added every single week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds because it is always ready on long days or short ones to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. So for listeners of this show, Pat's Interference, the best-looking Patriots fans and smartest around, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a premium subscription at calm.com backslash garden. Go to calm.com slash garden for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash garden. Yeah, uh, I want to... So I've seen it's it's easier to be negative on Twitter. That that's it's just a <laughs> hotbed of negativity. I think um, Jeff I, Howe knows how Twitter works. That's my end of season press conference <laughs> about that comment. It's, yeah, it's uh, but I've seen a lot on Twitter of people who are just like Max sucks, like start zappy. It's not that simple. And I want to get back to my biggest takeaway in the entire league this season. And there are four very specific examples. Coaching matters. So I'm not going to sit here. You know, a year ago, we were sitting here having a conversation like this, maybe not on Zoom, but we thought Mac Jones was a franchise quarterback. Right now, it's hard to know. I still think he probably could be, but we don't know because he didn't have the coaching element to back him this year. The, the offense as a whole was a mess. You know, there were the spacing issues. Um sloppiness there was just we could go on and on i'm sure you've covered this ad nauseum but like this is not my my opinion this is me asking people around the league who have studied the patriots and like all right am i seeing what uh, are you seeing what i'm seeing am i seeing what you're seeing whatever like and how much of it is on mac and basically everybody i spoke to along the way over the course of months absolved mac and was like he couldn't have made this a whole lot better than it was. So is Mac a franchise quarterback? Does he suck? We don't know. Um, and I'll relate that to Trevor Lawrence as a rookie was terrible because the coaching was terrible. Now we're saying what Trevor Lawrence looks like with high quality, high caliber coaching down in Jacksonville. He's having an explosive second half of the season. And again, fast track to being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You look at Tom Brady, everybody wants to sit here after Monday night and say, Tom Brady's washed. And I pointed out the fact, Hey, you know what? I don't think he's going to go out like this. I saw a bunch of responses who were like, well, it's only going to look worse a year from now. No, the coaching wasn't the coaching failed him. The offense was not good on a variety of levels. They had no running game. The offensive line was injured. They weren't able to replace Gronk. We've heard that before. But, the, I mean, Julio Jones looked like a shell of a shell of himself. There was a lot of things going wrong in Tampa. And Brady missed some throws. But the offensive system was not nearly as good without Bruce Arians running it. Coaching matters. And then San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan going from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy and somehow improving as they went down the depth chart. Again, the players deserve some credit, but that's because Kyle Shanahan is neck and neck with Sean McVay for running the best offensive system in the league and coaching matters. I mean, is Brock Purdy having this success right now in, in new England this season? No, like no, no. you need to be married up 
you know, we'll get real deep into this thing. Is it Belichick? Is it Brady? It's both. It's always been both. You can sit there and you can say that Brady saved Belichick from some personnel mistakes and that Belichick saved Brady from being a young, inexperienced yeah, I, quarterback. I don't want to do the sports hub you know, conversation when it's July, no, just, July, we refresh it. But I, I get yeah. what you're saying. And I think it's an important point to make that it doesn't have to be a dichotomy. Okay. Like the coaches are not taking any snaps in the field. None of the players are game planning six days during the week or calling those plays except for the quarterbacks in the two minute drill. Uh, to put a bow on the Mac discussion, I think it's just important to note that and review and underscore what Belichick said, how Mac acted and the whole situation that was brought about. And this could very well be remedied by, you know, a proven offensive coordinator, a trusted quarterbacks coach, rebuild that trust and that confidence. But you can't play quarterback without those elements. And it's just how far did that erode? I cannot say. I just think it's something worth discussing and not in the, oh, I'm just asking questions way, which is which is always thinly veiled BS. But it's just important because all of the conversations as i said now multiple times come back to mac the system the coaches what this looks like in a year what it looks like in two and because that's the window here for them before mac has the fifth year option which is going to be much more expensive because they just don't they don't pay for quarterbacks at that kind of level so what do they do around them in the next two years is is really their window do they pivot or not who knows i don't think so i think he'll be back i think he'll be the starter i think that's the right decision it's just not the only world in which the Patriots play football that Mac is not their starting quarterback. There are other options out there. Uh, any more to add on that front? No, good. Okay. I think we covered it. All right. Let's do something quick and short and sweet. Uh, do the Patriots extend Josh Uche? This comes from Marco in the mailbag, or do they draft an edge rusher this year, knowing he'll be behind them for 2023 and then replace Josh Uche in 2024? I think you, similar with uh, what I was going to mention on Duggar earlier, like you don't invest in guys like that and then let them develop into, we know Duggar is a high quality player. Josh Uche is very much on his way to becoming one as long as he can continue to leave the injuries in the past. You hit on those guys, reward them, keep them long-term. I just don't think it's going to be this off season. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think Josh Uche is a player who will probably price himself out of New England because teams that play four downs, uh, we'll see him and say that's a full-time starter. I don't think he'll get there in New England. I think his skill is valuable. Like you don't need to be a starter to have an impact that um, could be equated with a traditional starter mindset. Like his plays on third down, those are high leverage plays. There's a lot of you know win probability that swung in one direction or another. Sacks, strip sacks, all of that. I just think that the Patriots probably will get outbid for him. I don't think they extend him. If they do, I think it's a great move because I think that's a guy you want under contract for his physical prime, which is really coming up in the next the next three years or so after that TBD. But uh, I think they probably draft someone because Ronnie Perkins also really hasn't hit in 2021. And that looked like your guy who may or may not be ready to replace him. It just doesn't seem like that's going to pan out. Uh, this from Ben on Twitter. Point, just to yeah. your point, I'll be quick. <laughs> to your point on pricing himself out. If you're Josh Uche, why would you sign an extension right now? Knowing what could come if you have a, if you don't get hurt next year, you know what your potential is. You're talking about a contract that would be higher than Matt Judon's. So why would you sign an extension this offseason? Yeah, and he's a smart guy. That, that's that's much better put than everything I said. <laughs> All right. Which, uh, which free agents do you want the Patriots to re-sign? I mentioned John Jones in there. I think the question about Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater is obviously more related to, do they just want to play football? 
If they do, it'll be in New England. Um, beyond that, th- there are none that really stick out that much to me. And there are pieces here and there, but I kind of defer to you here. And this is someone who's got the zoomed out view. I already went down my whole list uh, in an episode or two ago. So if you really want my answers on every free agent, you can go back and listen. Uh, are, are there big names beyond those three? I mean, th- those are really the ones at the top. Yeah, I mean, I would. John Jones obviously has been a really good player for them. What's his market? I mean, it, they, do teams view him as, let's say, a high caliber number two? If they do, then shake his hand and, and let him go. If you can get him for, I don't even know what like the number two slash number three cornerback is going to be, like six to eight million dollars a year. I don't know if I'm going way too low on that. I it's okay. The, the only other one is Jacoby Myers. Oh, okay. I mean, Myers has been a good player for you, but um, there are people around the league who view him as just a number three. So, I, I mean, just see what his value is. And if it makes sense, sure. But if it doesn't, I, I mean, there's a lot of decisions you have to make to, to make this offense better. So if you want to go in a different direction in a number of these spots, I don't think that's a bad, bad idea. Yeah, I think the question the Patriots are going to ask themselves, in addition to finding out whatever Myers' price point is, and the open market, and as I said multiple times, if he wants to come back, which he's declared uh, since November, he's got the right agent, Drew Rosenhaus. Um, they want him back, but if someone blows him away with, like, let's say, a $15, 16000000 million offer per year, and Spot Track has him at 12, but receiver market exploded last year. The cap, again, is going up. We'll see what this brings. Can he say no to that and the Patriots stay at 10 or 11, thinking we can get you at a discount? You're eroded your own leverage by kept saying, I want to be back, I want to be back. And then let's say he stays at 14. Do you make a trade for a Hopkins or Keenan Allen, as I wrote today for the Herald, that is that jump of four or five million dollars and say like a mid-round pick worth the jump from Jacoby Myers to a Keenan Allen or Hopkins, who will be 31 uh, this upcoming season, but are obviously at one point bona fide number ones where they are now TBD. But that that's a question too, where it's not just player to player, it's player plus an extra four or five million and maybe a draft pick, does that all that value check out versus just retaining Jacoby Myers? I meant to look more closely at Hopkins contract actually yesterday, and I never got around to it um, because I don't know how difficult it is for a team to take it on. Like 19.5 and he's got um, a no trade clause. Okay. So that's not terrible. Um, So that's probably possibly a third round pick. If you can get Hopkins for a third round pick and kind of work on his deal to alleviate some of that cap pressure, I don't care that he came off the suspension and finished the year injured that he is still a transcendent type. He is a flat out difference maker. And if you're if talking about investing and going all in on Mac Jones, get that guy. I'm with you. I, I again have said on this podcast and wrote about it. I don't think it happens, but I think the other name Keenan Allen might be, more gettable without knowing if that call has been made to the chargers and they just say, no, I just know the chargers are headed towards cap hell. Is it's presently uh, at their books presently? Look, I think it's like 24 or something. Maybe it's in the range of 20 to $24 million over the cap. They need to pay Justin Herbert. Allen going to be 31 had some injury issues this year. Is this a buy low opportunity for them where his production and price is probably a little bit lower than Hopkins, not only just on your books, but also from a trade standpoint, Um, but he might not even be available. So We'll move on. Um, Ashley wants to know, are the Patriots comfortable with Trent Brown starting next season? I said they should be, even though he had 12 penalties this year. He was durable. Uh, I think you get perhaps a different coach in there 
and you might get closer to the performance we saw in 2018. Maybe just we'll call it 2021 because I don't know if 2018 Trent Brown's ever come back. No, I agree. Uh, yeah, you're right. They should be. Uh, you know what you're getting with Trent Brown. You got to keep on top of him with his conditioning. You got to you just hope that he doesn't get injured. And when those injuries arise, that's not going to be a five or six game one. You know, maybe it's a week or two here and there. But he's still uh, a very good left tackle or or right tackle if that's where you want to play him. But he's a very good left tackle. And you just kind of have to take what comes with it because it's an affordable contract in terms of getting that play when he's right uh, in comparison to what other left tackles can make. All right. Last question. And I kid you not. This is from Lord Savage of the dark frequent listener and writer in whose name. I also always want to say in a Bane voice, like Lord Savage of the dark. Um, <laughs> we'll see if I ever bring back that impersonation. How much does coaching two college all-star games impact the Patriots draft? So DeMarcus Covington was just named the de- defensive coordinator at the senior bowl for the American team. The Patriots are coaching at the Shrine Bowl, East-West Shrine Bowl, uh, February 2nd in Las Vegas. Their whole staff will be there. I think it can only help. I think that's an obvious take. Um, You know, teams that have this up-close look at these prospects don't need to listen to, like, the strength and conditioning coaches about their work ethic or the position coaches. Like, you're in there in the weeds for three to four days at a time. I don't think many people, uh, specifically in that football-intense work environment, can kind of get by – you know, with a front or putting on for that long, like eventually your true self comes out. And I think it really could help them maybe make some tiebreakers between guys. They have similar grades on, but if you know someone personally, I think that's where it could swing them and boost their probability of hitting a pick just a little bit, but I don't think it's huge. It just, you know, small incremental boost to their draft board. Yeah. I mean, it reduces the element of throwing darts on draft weekends, because like you said, and it's not necessarily even about like, what are you watching him to do on the field? Like there's tape to see that it might not necessarily be just about what you're seeing in the meeting room. Some of those meeting rooms are pretty laid back. It's like, how does this guy interact with his teammates, with his peers, with his, with his coaches stuff behind the scenes? What's he doing in the locker room? Are you walking by him? and he's at the cafeteria and he's studying for practice the next day, or or is he doing something that maybe you don't want to see him doing? Are you walking through, you know, the convention center in Mobile at some point, and all of a sudden you you look into a room and you see, oh my goodness, that guy's still studying. It's 1130 at night. Like that's stuff that you can, that's Intel that you can't buy. You can't like send a scout into like hall, every hallway in Mobile or Vegas, Although <laughs> the latter would be an interesting exercise and, and hopefully you uncover like some great football players. So it's just, you know, seeing them firsthand and getting those, those little things that add up because, you know, maybe this helps you more in like the middle rounds or the late rounds when you're trying to make when the dart throwing is real, or maybe, you know, when it comes down to you're on the clock at 14, you've got three that you're looking at. You feel pretty good about all of them, but you saw this one thing that this guy showed you at one of these bowl games and you say, hey, you know what? Like we nobody knows what this guy is going to turn into, but I have a little more information that I think that this guy could potentially hit. So uh, all of the, the presence at these bowl games is always important. Definitely. Um, two things on that one, I think it might, uh, turn off a lot of scouts who will then have their opinions, um, more forcefully met by the coaches who've been like, Oh no, I spent time with this guy. I was there practice for three days. And they're like, well, I just spent 362 other days looking and thinking about this guy relative to other players, but sure. Yeah. Your three days overshadowed that. 
The second thing is we have another question here on Twitter from Andrew uh, at underscore Andrew Callahan asking if Jeff Howe is a prospect in Vegas for three or four days, how would he handle this environment? You mass Jeff Howe. Uh, if I was a prospect, I'd probably be undrafted. <laughs> They're like Pete college. Jeff Howe is out in Vegas for the shrine bowl. You're like, you know, it might stick as a, he's probably just a Jag, but is he surviving those nights in Vegas without any trouble? Well, it would depend. It'd be so like, am I UNH Jeff Howe who failed out because UNH Jeff Howe would go to the, the shrine bowl and, you know, might wake up in a different part of the planet. <laughs> UMass Jeff Howe was a little more motivated to make something of himself after UNH Jeff Howe uh, shamed his family name and drew the gen, uh, genuine disappointment of his parents. So maybe UMass Jeff Howe goes and turns himself into a third round pick. Gotcha. All right. Well, here's hoping the Patriots find the UNH Jeff Howes and separate them <laughs> from the UMass Jeff Howes. They're going to be at the Shrine Bowl. I don't know if I will be there. Hopefully I see you on the road sooner rather than later. Really appreciate you coming back on the pod, buddy. Anytime, man.